Morning Crypto. Welcome to Bitboy Crypto, the people's channel, home of the Bit Squad, the largest and greatest crypto community in all the interweb. Do you know why they call it a black swan event? They the literally caused everything. They're behind Terra Luna, which ultimately is behind Three Arrows Capital, which ultimately is behind Voyager, which is behind Celsius, which is behind Vault. This go. is what happened. They did this. But I definitely think XRP is going to be number one performer of the top coins of the next bull run. People have made fun. People have made fun of XRP for a long time. They made fun of the Ripple community for a long time. The day is coming when we all get to sit and laugh at everybody else. warriors hello and welcome back to another episode of your favorite crypto news channel good morning crypto where we bring you the most relevant and impactful crypto related topics from the top crypto research team in the world i'm your host abs joined by several members of our 3t family this morning we've got the italian stallion mr johnny crypto is joining us mario the node defender and today is a very special day as we have a renowned crypto educator and the creator of the most popular crypto channel on youtube BitBoy Crypto is in the building, ladies and gentlemen, so very excited for this episode. Today on Good Morning Crypto, we will be discussing how Ripple is continuing to expand with the latest move into the UAE as Cardano's founder, Charles Hodgkinson, updates the ADA community on the September Vasil fork. FedNow is set to go live in the coming months, potentially open the floodgates for certain blockchains. We remove the speculation as our listeners showing them that XRP is yet to be utilized. The crypto market is set to boom through 2024, but not through, but not without an extended bear market. We break down why 2023 is the year of institutional adoption. And our special guest shares his opinions on the market conditions of today, highlighting not only how to survive a bear market, but also indicating which projects will succeed. We prepare our listeners as 2025 is setting up to be the bull run of a lifetime. Our show is available on your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Music. And for those of you listening via podcast, our show is live on YouTube, Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern at the 3T Warrior Academy channel. So, Mr. Ben Armstrong, it is a very exciting day to have you in the building. We might call you Ben, we might call you BitBoy, but many know you as the most powerful influencer on YouTube. Thank you for making time for us today. And what's on your mind, my friend, before we dive into our Q&A? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, th thanks for having me. Uh, you know, really like your setup here on the show. And, um, you know, uh, crypto is a very, it's a very volatile space, obviously. And a lot of people know that. Uh, but right now, you know, we're kind of almost seeing a lack of volatility in the market here. You know, as Bitcoin just hangs out around $20,000. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's, you know, going to spur some really interesting conversations on where Bitcoin is going and, uh, you know, where the market's going to follow it. Ben, and if I can ask you, what WWE competition did you get to win those belts behind you? I just got to know. <laughs> well, those are actually my uh, my blockchain influencer awards. I was blockchain influencer of the year two years in a row, and I've got I I, I swept almost every category in one of the award shows. So uh, <laughs> we've got I, I, I've got some more up here at the top you can't see. So <laughs> it's awesome. kind of we'll embarrassing. Get, we'll get to them later in the episode, yeah. right? But first, we're going to kick it to Johnny Crypto. Johnny Crypto. First of all, we're going to talk about how Jim Cramer is warning people to sell their cryptocurrency, but I want to know what's on your mind this morning, my friend. How are you feeling? And thank you for making time for us today. Ah, I'm feeling wonderful. It's always a great day uh, out here. And uh, first of all, I just want to say good morning to our warrior maniacs that show up every single day. Thank you. We love you. We appreciate you. 
Uh, good morning to our brother Mario. Mario, that was a fantastic video. I got so excited watching that big boy video. I was ready to go cliff dive into this thing. Uh, and, and more importantly, I just want to say it's so awesome. I'm super excited to have Big Boy Crypto here today. Anybody who got started in crypto, you probably saw him first. I know when I started Googling, crypt, Googling crypto, he popped up and I started watching his content and guiding me along the way. So super excited that it's amazing how you can go two years from watching a man to here we are talking to him. Super excited. Can't wait to jump into some crypto stuff. It's fantastic, Johnny. And it's really interesting how things have come full circle. We're diving into some XRP content, some HBAR, some quant, and some ADA. We're going to kick it to the Node Defender this morning. Mario, thank you for making time for us. An awesome job on that introduction. How are you feeling this morning? Oh, man, I'm feeling great. Feeling excited. Really excited to have Ben here. I mean, Ben is an educator. We're all trying to be educators in the space. And I think that this is going to be a very special episode. So I can't wait to get started. Abs, let's do it. Let's rock and roll, and we're going to get this thing started the same way we always do by showing you our Good Morning Crypto Twitter account. At 3TGM Crypto on Twitter, you get access to every single member of our team, but we're going to dive into the Bitcoin Fear and Greed Index because that's what's caught people's attention this morning. We are sitting in extreme fear at a 23. The total coin market cap is below $1 trillion, sitting at $989 billion this morning. Bitcoin is 39% dominance. Ethereum is about 20%. We've got Bitcoin starting at $20,200 this morning. Ethereum, $1,500. XRP is $0.32. Cents. Cardano was $0.45. Cents. Polygon, $0.83. Cents. VeChain, 2 dollars Hedera is 6 dollars And Quant is $98 this morning. BitBoy Crypto, of course, we're going right back to you. What do you think about the bear market? I watched a very interesting video this weekend talking, you addressing the fact that we're about to go into a long-term consolidation here. Typically, we get 12 months of extremely bearish price action, mm -hmm. then about 12 to 18 months of trading sideways. How are you preparing your listeners for that long-term consolidation? Well, I mean, you, you you hit it on the head there. And I think just understanding, you know, where the market has been in the past, that's the best indicator we have of where it's going to go in the future. So, um, you know, I mean, you know, last year I famously, infamously said Bitcoin was going to 100K. Almost everybody thought it and it didn't happen. And so I think a lot of people have been surprised to see, you know, the fact that I've been so bearish in this bear market. And I think that, you know, it's important for people to understand you need to be bullish in bull markets. You need to be bearish in bear markets and you need to accumulate in accumulation zones. And I think when you fit those strategies, you can't really lose in crypto over the long term when you've been in for uh, more than four years. And I know last year I was on several shows. I talked to Michael Saylor, um, you know, and, and several people laughed at me when I said there would be another bear market and it would be really, really bad. And, it, you know, I actually said that, you know, and it's really kind of hard to measure, but this would be the worst bear market ever. Um, now, look, if we don't go below $10,366, it's really more like if we don't go below like 8,500, this won't percentage wise be the, uh, you know, the worst bear market ever. But, you know, bear markets kind of tend to get worse in terms of dollars, right? So, you know, if, if you were in Bitcoin, if you bought in at Bitcoin at $20,000 and it went all the way down to $3,000, Okay, you're down 17k on your investment. Well, if you bought it at 69k, if you bought one Bitcoin 69k and now it's, you know, down at 20k, you've you've lost almost fifty thousand dollars already with more downside to come. So, um, I, I think the what one of the interesting dynamics that we're looking at is in the bull market when things really started popping off, you had the dollar getting weaker as Bitcoin was getting stronger. 
but now you're seeing the inverse. Now you're now you're seeing, you know, the dollar gets stronger somehow because inflation is worse around the world than it is here in America. So the DXY is going up. And now you've got Bitcoin getting weaker during that time. So the exact same mechanism that really pushed Bitcoin up in the bull run, it's kind of we're seeing the inverse now that's pushing it down uh, in the bear market. So we're just really trying to teach our, you know, talk to our audience about accumulation right now that, uh, you know, right now is a good time to accumulate. It may not be the best time. We may get a much better time uh in a, in a couple months i believe that we will but you still don't want to miss out on these prices here yeah the, actually ben i agree with you we've been talking about that here on the show that you know you want to make sure that your dollar cost averaging in during the, the the accumulation periods right and a lot of times it's opposite of what people think you want to buy when there's fear in the streets and sell when there's greed but i've got a question for you in term in terms of um the cycles so i hear all the time you know, and I wasn't in the first two bull runs, 2013, 2017. So maybe you can help us understand. But there's this talk of every four years as a having, and when the having occurs, you know, we get these nice, big, beautiful bull runs, right? Um, my question to you is this: Back in 2013, 2017, there was really no real true adoption. We were more in a speculative type state. There was no Congress involved, no SEC involved. Now we're moving to the point where we're really going to see true adoption. We're going to see true adoption of these technologies. We're going to have regulation coming from Congress. We've got uh, CBDCs and Fed now, all that stuff is coming. Do you think that now with all that stuff happening, is it going to change the cycles? Are, are things going to happen differently? Because back then you just had these small whales running it. Now you got the big fish, right? You got the yeah. grayscales, you got the black rock. All these big guys are in it. Are you still expecting the same exact four-run bull cycle? Or do you think... We're going to see some shady different stuff going forward. What's your thoughts? Well, it's a great question. And this is something that everybody wants to know. Um, and people are usually surprised by my answer. No, I don't think anything changes. <laughs> like, I don't think anything changes. And, okay. it, and and the reason why is, okay, so what, what you're talking about right now, if we especially go back to, uh, now we see this around, you know, kind of the, the bear market. We also see this leading up to the halving. Mm. You get all of these articles out saying if you go back and you look 2016, um, when the last Bitcoin, when two Bitcoin halvings uh, ago occurred, you can find article after article leading up to that halving and people saying it's priced in. It's priced in already. Everybody already knows about the halving. There's so much adoption for crypto compared to the last cycle. Now, 2013, obviously, there was not a, a, a lot of adoption. The halving occurred in 2012, um, right? I think right before I actually bought Bitcoin for the first time. That was, I, I think it was November of 2012 was when the halving was. And then I bought Bitcoin, you know, a month later in December. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the thing is, is that even if you go back and look then, especially in the bear markets, like it's even worse in the bear markets. Here, here's why. Because everybody desperately wants for the four-year cycle narrative to be dead. Why? Yeah. Because that means we're in for more pain right now. If, 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 if this four-year cycle is not dead, then that means that all the people that bought it in 2021, which is the majority of people in crypto, mm. you have a long time left before you make money. And they don't want that narrative. You don't, you, you don't want to hear that. You want to believe the adoption is here. And you know, before now we've got these people involved in these institutions and this government agency. And the fact is, so far in the history of crypto, we've not seen anything that has affected these cycles. When you look at the recession that we're in right now, macroeconomically, like, yeah, it's really bad. And people are saying, this is why Bitcoin's down. Bitcoin's doing the same thing it's always done. The economy around it is what changes. 
Um, and you can you can certainly make make an argument that those things play off of each other to some extent. Um, but the reality is Bitcoin is still not done anything different. So until Bitcoin does something different, I can't go with a narrative that all of a sudden, even though everything's on track right now, it's just different this time. And, and I'll tell you another thing about adoption and, and regulation. One thing is the more that you're, it's just like anything else you get into, you know, like if you want to become an expert on something, let's say you want to be a, a poker player. I'm, I'm a big poker player, you know, made it pretty far in the world. Here's a poker main event, got 135th last year. It was really exciting. There's like clips of me going out with my pocket aces, you know, it was, it was really fun, but I'm not a professional poker player. I, I can play well. I've won tournaments. I've done a lot of good stuff. I don't have the time and dedication it takes to become a professional poker player. I just have too many other things going on in my life. Yeah. And, and so when you get into poker and you really start analyzing, even though it looks the same, the way the professional players are playing, your Daniel, Daniel Negranus and your Phil Helmuse, it almost looks the same sometimes as what a regular person is doing. <clears throat> but when you really dig into what they know and how much of an expert they are, you see they're kind of playing on a different field. And so when you broach the subject, you say, I want to be a professional poker player. And, and someone comes and says, okay, we need to read this book. You need to understand this. You need to know this mathematical formula. You need to understand. You start understanding like, oh my gosh, like I don't know nearly as much. I, I thought I was much further than I was. Yeah. This is the way it is with crypto adoption. We look at this and we say, look at all this stuff here. The longer you're in this and the more you learn about it, the further away it feels. It's not the opposite. When you first get into it, I did the same thing. I thought in 2017, like, oh, we're right around the corner. With every year that passes, it looks further and further and further away to me. We're so at the beginning of this still. And I think people really have a hard time, you know, co comprehending that. And when you have a bullish bias, because look, all of you guys obviously have bullish bias. You're here making crypto content, right? Like you believe in crypto. You believe in Bitcoin long-term. I think this is what gets a lot of people in trouble. And I'm the same way because you see the promise, you see how big everything is, and you just sit there and say, why does everybody not see this? Like, why is not everybody buying in? It makes no sense. And so that, you know, that kind of hurts, you know, hurts you as well a little bit too, because, you know, Bitcoin at freaking however many, $20,000, like what a freaking deal, right? Like, but other people don't see that yet. So I really think, you know, adoption is, you know, maybe eight, eight to 10 years away, to be honest with you guys. Now, certainly there will be some things along the way that get adopted. But you know, that's really interesting you brought up that timeline, Ben, because a couple of weeks ago, we interviewed this guy named Mark Yusko. He's a billionaire. He, he manages a, a, I'm forgetting the name, Morgan Creek Digital Assets, I believe is the name of his fund. And what he brought up was two things that were very, very important. From now until 2027, he believes we're going to go through a process of regulation, a process of the SEC and the CFTC, trying to get people like us to not get involved in these currencies. But number two is that he believes crypto winter is over. He doesn't think we're dipping below 17.5. And we know he's friends with Michael Saylor, so I'm sure they share the same sentiment. What are some of your opinions on that? Because I know that you're thinking we got another leg down to go. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the writing's on the wall at this point. Now, now look, certainly there's a chance. I, I, I've been kind of on record saying I think it's about a 20% chance that, that we've already bottomed. You can't, and, and trust me, I learned this last year, you, you can't be adamant one way or the other. You know, you, you have to leave room for you to be wrong. The history says Bitcoin draws down 85%. That number is $10,366. And, you know, it seemed like at one point when the prices, uh, you know, started coming down, well, you know, we didn't get to the heights that we got of the bull market that we thought we were going to get to. So it makes sense we don't get to the lows. We've already got pretty dang close to it. And in reality, you know, the fact that there are, uh, you know, we've already broken one trend, you know, which is Bitcoin's never gone below 
the four-year cycle high. The last one was 20,000 in 2017. 2021, it was 69,000. Now we plunge below 20,000. And it, it, it's like, you know, we've already plunged below that. And it kind of shows us, in my opinion, that the reason why we plunge below it is because we didn't get the same pop in the bull market, but the bear market is still having the same effect. Um, so, uh, of course, Michael Saylor and, you know, Mark Yosko, they, they want prices to go up. You know, a, a lot of your big institutional people are saying the bottom is in. And, you know, now he has a, a crypto fund, so not technically institutional, but look, these, you know, Pop, Pop and Mark Yusko have a lot of money, <laughs> you know, so, um, you know, they are on that institutional level. So they want, uh, you know, I'm not saying they're necessarily trying to mislead people, but um, what I am saying is that uh, th there's really no evidence, in my opinion, to support that. And I, I think that when we look at now our target, you know, we're, we're famous for making exact targets. Now, the exact date isn't that important. It's just a marker, right? We look at the history of Bitcoin. It's always bottomed after the midterm elections. We expect, you know, there to be some tumultuous times around that as there's, you know, possibly a lot of change incoming as the economy is doing so bad. Uh, and so we're targeting three to five weeks after the midterm elections, like November 28th is kind of the day that, that we picked, give or take a month either way, potentially. Uh, but I do think it's after the midterm. So, you know, uh, that that has been pretty clear in the past. That's that's when we're targeting. Now, look, if it bottoms a little bit before that, if we hit ten to fourteen thousand dollars, which is the range we're looking at, um, then you know I could potentially say, okay, now I feel like there's there's been enough pain uh, to go. But the idea that the bottom is in, it's very hard to accept when you're looking at where Bitcoin is right now. When we're just taking a clear, unbiased look at where Bitcoin is now, struggling to hold twenty thousand dollars, um, is it right now? I think is it twenty thousand two hundred? There's not strength. Where is the strength coming from? And, and you can look and you can target specific dates and you can say, look, let's look at the Fed meeting in, in September. If in the Fed, uh, if the Fed meeting in, in September, if it comes up and they say, oh, we're not raising interest rates. Sure. Maybe that'll be evidence and, and things will, you know, th things will continue to go back up. Um, but nobody thinks they're going to do that. People are still expecting another 0.75 raise. And I don't think that point that 75 bit raise is priced in yet. You know, there's some people that think it, but there are still people that have the opinion that maybe that's not coming. Um, so I, I just think if, if you just look at the price of Bitcoin and you look at the difficulty at which it's having to get above $20,000 and hold again, you know, it seems to indicate another leg down. And when you look at 19.5, I know on my show yesterday, we were looking at different levels. You've got like, maybe like, I think like 18.8, maybe 18.2, somewhere around there. Uh, we haven't closed, by the way. We haven't closed. I don't believe, I don't know where we closed yesterday. Did we actually, yesterday, we may have actually closed um, at the lowest close that we've seen. Let me double check that real quick. Uh, I got my chart pulled up over here. Awesome. Yesterday, we, yesterday, yesterday, we closed. No, nope, we closed at 20,000 yesterday. So um, right now we're at uh, about the same spot it closed at yesterday. The the lowest close that we've had on the daily chart is actually 19.2. So we we hovered around that range yesterday. We almost got, we got down to 19.5. Uh, even though the price went down to 17,500 or 17,600 in, in June, we haven't closed below 19.2 yet. So if we were to somehow get a close below 19.2, that's extremely bearish, and there's there's basically no support between nineteen thousand two hundred and seventeen six where the low was. It's nothing but wicks in that range. That means 
There's nothing to hold it. So if we were to go below 19,000, I think it's very obvious we'll be hitting new lows. Thanks, Ben. I got a bunch of questions prepared for you. But first, we got 205 live listeners out there. Show us some love. Smash that like button. Thank you for joining us on this Wednesday. We're going to continue bringing you the most relevant and impactful crypto-related topics. And that's what we're going to dive into right now. Johnny and Mario, I know you have some questions, but I want to run one more by our friend Ben. As the world's largest asset manager, BlackRock, is planning on getting involved in crypto, you were heavily critical of the centralization narrative. I have a little bit of a different approach, so I'd love to have a discussion about it. I think that the centralization of cryptocurrencies is inevitable. This is where most of the global liquidity is. And when people like BlackRock are getting involved, many of us call it validation, but you called it an actual negative effect of the market. Maybe you can speak a little bit more to that, and I'd love to rebuttal. Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, the the way that the institutions and the central banks, the way they destroy crypto is from the inside out. It's not from the outside in. So, you know, there's always people talking about, oh, well, I know, you know, guess what? Like, uh, you know, these institutions or, or the governments, they're just going to stop crypto. Well, no, they can't. And they know that. So th- if you can't beat them, join them. That's basically what they're doing. And, and look, there, there's a, certainly a fine line between swimming with the whales, between doing what is going to make you money and then doing what you feel like is philosophically correct. Like, I love XRP. I love the community behind it. Um, I think maybe later on you got a, got a story about the XRP ledger and, and NFTs coming to it. This We've been waiting on this uh, for an NFT project we have. And I, I think that all that's good. But at the end of the day, like, do we want central banks to be able to be more powerful? No. But if you compare the Ripple network to the SWIFT network, it's miles better. So they're obviously going to use it. And so you just have to kind of make a decision on what's right for you. I think it's the same thing with BlackRock. Like, this is not overall good for crypto and decentralization. And, and, you know, I talk about this a lot. There's no such thing as centralization. You have centralization over here. You have decentralization over here. And everything falls on on that continuum. There's nothing that's totally centralized. There's nothing that's completely decentralized. Like you can, there's even things about Bitcoin, certainly, uh, that are controlled a little bit. So I think that the idea that, um, you know, crypto is going to move to a completely centralized place. I don't think that's necessarily true. Kind of the way that I see all this playing out, because let's just be honest. Okay. Bitcoin is a far superior version of money slash asset than we've ever seen before. Nothing comes close to it. When you got the controlled supply, you know how much is coming in. Uh, you know, it can't be inflated. When you look at those things, it's just like survival of the fittest. It's like Darwinism. Like eventually it's going to win. But people have a much shorter timeline than it's going to actually be. I definitely believe that it's going to be closer to 50 years. So we're going to go through this time where the central banks are going to start winning. The Black Rocks are going to start winning. Everything's going to win. But eventually it doesn't help the world at all because we're still stuck in this fiat system. And at some point that's going to crumble. It, it may not even be in our lifetimes, you know, but it is going to totally crumble. And so at that point, you're going to need a hard asset to back things. That's where Bitcoin as reserve currency comes in as the world reserve currency, but not in the form everybody thinks it comes in as a, uh, it's very similar to gold, right? Gold backed currency. We're going to eventually get to Bitcoin backed currency. Uh, I think in the future. So, BlackRock does a lot of bad stuff. And I'll tell you this about BlackRock, last thing to say. I actually spoke with a guy who uh, worked at BlackRock for a long time. And, you know, pretty much confirmed a lot of stuff I already knew. Like, look, everybody that works at BlackRock is not bad. You got secretaries. <laughs> you got receptionists that are that are good people that work at BlackRock. Uh, but at the end of the day, all the other hedge funds hate BlackRock. And they do not want BlackRock to succeed. 
BlackRock is the only one that wants BlackRock to see, and they got a lot of pull and a lot of power. But you're starting to see regulation potentially around what they're doing. So what BlackRock does, they take other people's money, and then they use that to buy tons of shares into companies. They don't actually own anything, right? You know, own nothing and be happy. You know, that's kind oh, of we mantra. always talk about that. The World yeah. Economic Forum. Exactly, exactly. So what they're doing is kind of the same thing. Like they don't own anything, but what they do is they use other people's money to buy these stocks to give their people return. And what does that do for them? That allows them to have power on the board seats. They're the number two or number three holder in like so many major companies. It's insane. Tesla, Amazon. Uh, you know, big backers of a lot of politicians, and they're able to use their power to influence things without actually owning things. And a lot of politicians are waking up that that's not a good thing. So look, look in the future for there to be some some regulation around that. That's what we want to stop with BlackRock. It's it's not that hedge funds are bad. It's not that people making money are bad. It's not that billionaires making money are bad. We want to stop them from having say in companies that's basically insider trading. That's what they're doing. When you're at Amazon and you got some big uh, proposal and you're BlackRock and you've got enough sway to push that proposal forward and you know it's going to be a good thing, well, guess who benefits? That's the, In a roundabout way, that's insider trading and that's what they're doing. And we're about to talk about some insider trading later in this episode as we have an article referring to Jim Cramer telling people to sell their cryptocurrencies. That's a joke, of course. We're going to dive into the Federal Reserve news because I want to run this by Ben. We had some massive news from the Fed now announcing that they're going to start running their protocols in September with the full launch anticipated in May through July of 2023. We're going to let this brief video clip play and get some comments from the group. Here we go. Service kicking off in mid-September. I want to particularly thank you the early adopters for the important investments you're making to prepare for the day when the FedNow service goes live. Together, we'll be ready to launch the FedNow service between May and July of 2023, bringing this innovative core instant payments infrastructure to financial institutions of every size across America. It kills me how boring some of these videos are, but what she said is so important. One of the things she mentioned was early adopters, Ben, and that's one of the reasons that I've been not an advocate of centralization, definitely not the correct way to phrase it, but in understanding that that's kind of how the market's going to fluctuate. That's how the market's going to evolve. And the people who are early adopters are going to directly profit off those centralized entities moving into crypto. What do you feel about the Federal Reserve news here? We deep dive on some research this does not involve XRP. We'll show an article later, but that was a big speculation. How do you feel about central bank digital currencies? I'd love to hear your opinions on what China's doing right now, including a social credit score with their CBDC. Yeah, I think the most interesting thing that she said there was innovative. Who says innovative? Does anybody say that? Like, can we just pronounce know. the word correctly? Like, did she misread the teleprompter? Or do you think in her everyday life she says, oh, that's so innovative? No, I, I think she think must read the teleprompter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but anyways, look, look I, I think the FedNow thing is interesting. I, I think that basically FedNow slash CBDCs, they are different, but the same idea, okay, which is fast, instant payments that can be dispersed online. What? Why is this important? What, why is this what the Fed is pushing for? Well. It's because when you look back at the pandemic and you look at all of the money that went to everybody, think about how much easier it would be to disperse government benefits if it can happen overnight. And then not only that, if you can disperse them that quickly, but also you can control the money too. You know, like if basically you have access, but this is the problem with CBDCs. They're, they're not open and permissionless. They're closed and permission. They're not transparent. You can't see what's going on in the blockchain. Only the people in the government can see that stuff. 
that's just a continuation of the same old thing. And I, I tend to believe that when it comes to Fed now, that what we're seeing, I ultimately believe USDC is the digital dollar. It becomes the Fed dollar in the future. Um, and I'm not sure, like, I don't know enough about Fed now today to be able to say this for sure. But I think that one of the advantages to using USDC and a CBDC over the Fed now system is that lends more to an international borderless system, right? To where, think about this. If USDC, th this is, in my opinion, the way the government staves off the death of our currency. When you look back at the history of currencies, of reserve currencies, you know, I think the first one started off maybe in Portugal. And then, of course, I think there was one, uh, maybe Denmark had one, had the reserve currency at one time. Of course, the British pound at some point, uh, Spain had it at some point. The average lifespan of these, I think, is about 98 years. 94. 94 years. Thank you for that. 94 years. You, you look where we're at today. Um, I think, uh, you know, we're almost right at that. We're right around that number for the U.S. dollar. I think 1921, is that when it was made? Do you know? I think that's right. doesn't know. Sorry, I've got an article ready in the background. I'm actually. Okay, okay, yeah, 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 that's right. That's right. So anyways, the point is we're right at that number right now. We're right around the average of world reserve currencies. Well, what? how does the United States keep the reserve currency when, like you said, China's got their CBDC? Uh, you know, China's already doing a lot of permission stuff that's really interesting. Well, it's you change it from the U.S. dollar to the U.S. digital dollar. You look at the players behind that, Circle, Goldman Sachs, Coinbase. Uh, there's a lot pushing that forward. So I, I think we do see the CBDC come, the digital dollar. Fed now is more of a short-term solution. I think it's a bridge to get us to when the federal uh, you know, dollar is put in. Because going back to this borderless idea, imagine the new amount of demand you're able to create for the digital dollar when now everybody around the world can just go buy it on an exchange instead of having to do some, some complex. Like I don't do a lot of international traveling, to be honest with you. I am going to be doing a lot more. I'm going to Dubai here in uh, next, next month or in October. And like, that's some cool stuff. Right. Uh, but I don't like exchanging crypto or currencies, you know, the, like, does my visa work in other countries? I don't even know any of that stuff. Right. Most people in other countries don't know it either. Probably. But now if you're able to buy U.S. dollars and keep it on a wallet through it, just a crypto exchange, think about how that escalates the demand. And as the demand goes way up for the U.S. digital dollar, now the supply is not as big of a problem as it is right now. And it opens up the door for a whole new wave of inflation. So I want to give Johnny and Mario a chance to ask some questions. If not, I do have a question I want to ask Ben. So Johnny or Mario, the floor is yours. You could go ahead, Abs. Uh, I have no questions at the moment. Perfect. So one of the things that you brought up was how a borderless economy or a borderless environment, that sounds to me like a one-world government or a one-world economy, mm -hmm. essentially. And that's where this whole thing is headed. When mm -hmm. you look at the long-term effects of cryptocurrency, it's not only removing borders, but it's removing the individual governments from having global control. One of the things that I'm concerned with when you talk about a global economy is the supply chain. If we become dependent on economies such as China, we're losing political power because we're dependent on them for our resources. What do you think about that? And and what are some of your thoughts behind a one world economy? Yeah, I mean, one world economy is coming for sure. <laughs> like, it's not even a question at this point. I mean, for people to, to deny that, they're, they're not looking at the obvious. I mean, you know, you had the Economist article from back in the 1980s that predicted the one world currency. And, you know, they put their plan right out there for everybody to see. And it, it, it's coming. We're marching towards this. And um, it's, it's just like, you know, I feel like kind of AI and robots, right? Like we've seen all the horror movies. Um, one of my favorite movies is I Robot with Will Smith. Like, I really love that movie because I think it's like a really realistic 
you know, interpretation of how sentience can turn into a big problem for mankind. But yet, what do we do? We just keep on marching towards it. You know, we see it coming. We've seen the movies. We keep going towards it. The one world government is the same thing. The permission money, same thing. I I think that really when you, there you go. I, I think when you look at China, and what's going on over there, I don't think China is nearly as big of a threat to the United States as everybody else thinks it is. Um, we've got a couple of videos coming out on China. The, their whole economy is a house of cards. It's all money washing and money laundering going through the People's Bank of China, back to Hong Kong, back up to China. Right now, what China is doing is uh, is they're actually like holding other countries over the barrel over these super high interest loans to where they'll give a country a super high interest loan and that... T- for the country to specifically build something. And then they know that country won't be able to stay on time with the loan. And then China comes in and takes over whatever that thing they were building. And now they have access like uh, in, in Laos, which is the only lo- landlocked country in, uh, in Asia. They have a railroad now going into China, trying to give them a big loan for it. And now they can't pay it back. So guess what? China gets to take over the railroad. So um, that, and we know there's a lot of stuff going on in Africa as well that China is doing. Uh, so China really is kind of relying on on kind of these really interesting ways to be able to generate revenue. Um, it, but like, I don't know if you've seen the video of them uh, toppling over a building. It was a brand new building that China had built that nobody ever lived in. Yeah. And so they just pushed it over. Why did they do that? It's the same thing that Twitter does with the bots, right? Why do you think Twitter doesn't want to clean the bots? Because it makes their numbers look better. The Chinese government is very similar. They love doing stuff to make their numbers look better, but they're not actually a, a, a real threat in the long term. Their, their economy is going to you know, be in shambles uh, probably sometime in the next 20 years. Awesome. And one of the things that we always talk about here is Ethereum Gate. But before we dive into that, we got 254 live listeners. Show us some love. Smash that like button. If you're enjoying this content, make sure to keep tuning in because we're about to show you a video of former SEC director William Hinman talking about how he gave the market direction when it comes to Ethereum. We're going to let this short clip play and get some comments from the group, starting with Ben. Here we go. Listen <laughs> to people who are actively um, crafting the rules for the, this uh, work. And maybe you could repeat a, a couple of the, the, the 10,000 foot. Uh, sure. Ideas. I mean, the, the speech got a lot of attention because it was the first time we had uh, expressed to the world that we didn't view ether as a security as it was then currently being offered. Um, we're not talking about the original offering and we're not talking about what it may evolve to over time or if someone repackages it or does other things with ether. But we're saying at the current time, there wasn't really a, a need to, um, regulate ether as a security in our well isn't that convenient ben armstrong that he didn't feel the need to regulate ethereum i'm just going to give you the floor what does this video mean to you my friend well i mean first of all the, the question needs to be asked what'd you do with the 10 million dollars you got <laughs> from uh from the ethereum alliance uh you know when it comes ethereum enterprise alliance when it comes to um you know uh basically just giving him 10 million dollars right after he gives a speech or either right before it I, I think something he said something so fascinating there. How, how old is that? Is that a new video? No, that's from about 2018, I believe. 2018. So, so the interesting thing that he says in that video, I actually had not seen that clip before, um, is he says we're not saying Ethereum is a uh, a security. We're we're not saying that the token sale, how it started, we're not saying that that was a security or not a security. Implying surely it was, but today the way that it's offered. It's so basically it's so decentralized that, you know, anybody can go buy it. It's no longer a security. Why? Why do all the other coins not get that same protection? It doesn't make any sense because XRP certainly is at that same spot right now. The vast majority 
of XRP holders. Now, not not percentage wise of value, but it, if you look at total addresses, I would guarantee you that probably more than more than half the people that own XRP don't even know who Brad Garlinghouse is. You know, like they don't know what XRP is. They don't know. Who, certainly, eighty percent of them probably don't know who Chris Larson is. Uh, probably none of them know who Jed McCaleb is. You know, so it's like. The idea that now, you know, we're going to go after that token sale, but we didn't go after the Ethereum token sale. You know, you look at the Tron token sale though as well. Like, why are you not going after that one? It just doesn't make any sense the way that they've, you know, picked and choose who to go after. Um, and so I, I think that, uh, you know, William Hemman is a crook. And I'll tell you another thing. Um, and I know this in, intimately. There are movements right now trying to take away power from the SEC within the government, not not within the populace, not within the public. Certainly there's people want that within our government, within the Senate, within the state level governments. There are a ton of people who I, I will tell you this. Some of the highest profile people in the Senate knows that Gary Gensler and William Hemmen are crooks. And they know that this is not a good look. XRP, the Ripple case is totally exposed uh, levels of the SEC of corruption that we never thought we would see. And I said it all the time. The SEC is the most corrupt organization in the entire government. Johnny Crypto, yeah, I know you yeah. got a comment there. Yeah, well, you know, we kind of call it the rat snake weasel, weasel organization because that's really what they what they have. It's really kind of sad to see an agency that's supposed to protect people actually harming people here, right? And it's not <clears throat> based on what you said, and I kind of put two and two together. We see fashions now. We've seen some proposed regulation, right? Trying to give power over crypto to the CTFC rather than the SEC. So it makes total sense what you're saying. And now that's probably what's happening. Internal battles trying to push it away from the SEC and over to the CFTC. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. You'll see where the power lies once we finally see where that where that line falls there. Um, but do you think crypto would be in better hands if it was governed by the CTFC? Or do you feel that's just as corrupt? What's your thoughts, Ben? It is certainly not as corrupt. Um, yeah. and I, and I can tell you, we, we, we are part of something that is trying to make that happen right now. Uh, right. stuff I can't talk about publicly. I wish that I could, I hope within the next month, we're going to be able to, to push out. Maybe when I get back for Alaska, uh, kind of some stuff that we're working on, it's going to absolutely shock people. And it's going to shock people, the, the people that are on board with what we're doing. Um, the CFTC is way better than the SEC. Let me tell you one. Well, number one, the leadership is not as corrupt. There's not as much money on the line in the CFTC as there is with the SEC. The SEC, what's their number one moneymaker? Enforcement. You don't get the same thing with the CFTC. If you compare the budgets of the CFTC to the SEC, it's dwarfed because the SEC goes after enforcement. That's why Gary Gensler doesn't want clarity. He doesn't want regulation. He wants to be able to go after who he wants to go after. Like, look at EOS. EOS, $98 million payday for just signing a settlement. Saying like, yeah, I guess our token sale wasn't that great. We'll give you $98 million. It's about money in the SEC. CFTC, you don't get that same thing. Uh, Caroline Pham, who's in charge of CFTC right now, she is, you know, leaps and bounds a better leader um, and cares more about crypto than, than Gary Gensler. She's on the ground meeting with companies, talking to people, trying to figure out the best way uh, to regulate this. Uh, I'm telling you, eventually there is going to be another, there's going to be another entity 
that is going to be in charge of regulating crypto. Um, and, and it it may or may not be the CFTC at first, but eventually it might become its own or it will become its own independent organization, a digital asset investor. I know, like I said, people at the highest level of the government are talking about this. Uh, it is coming. It's the only thing that makes sense. Um, but is the CFTC perfect? I'm sure it's not. Are there bad people that work there? I'm sure there are. All right. That's the way that it goes with the government. But when you're trying to compare the CFTC and the SEC, that one doesn't hold a candle to the other. They're totally different organizations. They don't have the same money incentive. They don't have the same budgets. They don't have to go after people as fiercely to try to, to, to create revenue as the SEC does. And that's why when you're looking at, look, it's just like speeding tickets, right? Where do where do you have the most trouble with speeding tickets? Oh, in small podunk towns when you're going on 75 down to Florida or you know what whatever interstate you're you're going through, it's the little bitty towns that get you. Why? They have financial incentive to pull people over. They know it's a traveling town, and they know if they get people from out of the county, they're not making people mad that live there. They're able to to get a lot of money generated uh, through high dollar speeding tickets. And so they have financial incentive to do it. Same thing with the SEC. That's a great point, Ben. And we always talk about exit strategy on our channel. So we're going to show our listeners an application that we have created to help you execute your exit strategy. Have you gotten wrecked in the crypto market space or watched your crypto portfolio go all the way up and then all the way down without taking profits? If so, you're not alone. And it's probably because you don't have an exit plan. The good news is that it doesn't need to happen anymore. Thanks to a new and innovative crypto tracker called Merlin. It's the smartest way to track your crypto. First, it brings all your coins into one place from many exchanges and wallets, so you can simply see all of your assets across one screen. Next, you can see your total portfolio value, and more importantly, your daily gains, losses, and total since inception. Merlin puts the power back in your hands, so you no longer have to guess what your portfolio is doing on a daily or monthly basis. Most importantly, Merlin's smart algorithm lets you create an exit plan and sends you notifications when your targets are reached, so you no longer have to get wrecked in the marketplace. So go to at Get Merlin Crypto on Twitter. That's at Get Merlin Crypto and sign up for our 30-day free trial to get whitelisted so you can receive an email when the product is launched this fall. Don't wait and miss out on this new and innovative app. Sign up today and get on our Merlin whitelist. It is the smartest way to track your crypto. Johnny Crypto, I'm going to kick it to you for some quick comments and then we'll get back to our articles. Yeah, I think, you know, as we tell everybody, and, and before I kind of talk about every four years, we get these pumps, we get these dumps. If you don't have an exit plan, a lot of people just do exactly what I have, watch it go up and watch it go down. What's exciting about the app here, though, that I like about it is you can have an exit plan, you can get alerts, and Merlin will be partnering with uh, certain influencers or educators in the space so that you can actually follow their exit plans as well. So, for example, if BitBoy wanted to, you know, ha have his exit plans out there and have his followers follow that he can he can have that they can partner with them so it's really really it's a cool and innovative product it's needed because this industry doesn't have a way to help folks see where all their coins are right they're all split all over the place so yeah really innovative we're excited about it and uh, we'll see how it plays out and hopefully and we're going to dive right back into our crypto content as we are showing you a list of the iso compliant tokens and i wanted to get bitboy's opinion on these we talk about hedera and quant constantly on our channel and the reason i have them in red is because i couldn't find a document stating that they were iso compliant so i didn't want to promote, promote that to our listeners what are some of the projects that you're most bullish on on this list? Let's skip XRP for the time being. How do you feel about Quant in particular? I love the video you put out last weekend. Oh, you're muted, Ben. 
We got him. Sorry. There we go. There we go. Sorry. I got to flip it on and off. Um, yeah. I, I think first I would like to point out, you know, that uh, Ada also potentially ISO compliant. There's rumors of it, uh, you know, being on that list. Um, look, w- when you look at what Quant is doing, um, when you look at what Algorand is doing, when you look at Hedera, when you look at XDC, uh, Iota, I put in a little different category. But when you look at, at those um, and, and the way that they are trying to work things in a, you know, there are some centralized elements of what they're doing. That's what gets you ISO 20022 uh, compliant, but still like offering enough freedom for people to feel like they have choice and to be able to, um, you know, invest in something that isn't, that isn't evil, you know, that a lot of people don't want to do. I, I think they all have a lot of upside. Um, yeah. We did just have a video on Quant. Quant has been one. Look, here's the thing. When you get a lot of people that are on board with a coin, you start thinking about it more. We had done a video on quant a year and a half ago for the first time, I believe. And it was like, okay, is this really going to take off? Is this really going to move forward? And what you're seeing is that it is. We were seeing that the fuel that gets into these projects that are ISO compliant. I Guys, I, I think you really can't miss with any of these coins at this point. You know, to me, XLM was the big coin that I did not like. And the reason why is because I hate Jed McCaleb. Jed McCaleb, one of the co-founders of Ripple, um, you know, he left. Guess what? The the person that made the most money on Ripple, not named in the lawsuit. Go figure, right? Uh, XLM potentially in SEC crosshairs from what we're hearing uh, hearing recently, though. Um, But the idea that, um, you know, XLM was a coin I didn't like. Well, actually, I, I met with a guy who works at Stellar. And he told me that Jed McHale is basically done with the company. He doesn't even really work there anymore. He's just their name only at this point. Maybe a little more bullish on it. Um, I I think if you set up a portfolio with all these coins and add Cardano to it as well, um, I I think you can't lose with this portfolio going in the next bull run. Why? Well, number one, these are going to have a, they're going to have a lot of momentum based on just what they are. You look at Algorand and Hedera Hashgraph. I mean, these are two that we absolutely believe are going to explode, uh, similar to what we saw for Solana. We think these are two. And which one is going to do better? I'm 50-50 on it. So I I think just have them both. Um, I think that really, though, when you look at these coins, look, I'm trying to think of the best way to say this. The XRP army is a little crazy. They're, they're a little crazy. How you know, dare they're, you? They're, they're, there's something not quite right in their heads. And I'm there too. Like I'm there with y'all. But the idea that all of these coins together, they're supercharged at this point. With the People that are in the XRP army that are on board with the ISO 20022, you certainly have people that, X, that are XRP maximalists that won't touch XLM, won't touch, you know, um, uh, you know, well, Stellar is XLM. Won't touch maybe IOTA. Maybe they won't touch some other smart contract projects like Algorand or HBAR, but a lot of people will. And a lot of people are going to see these coins move together. Think about how much, uh, you know, how much activity, speculation, sentiment, buzz is around this ISO 20022. And to me, the biggest thing that happened for these coins this year is this got pushed back to 2025. That's when the bull run is, guys. March 10th, 2025. That's going to be perfect timing. When you accumulate all these together in a portfolio, I think you can't miss. So, I, I, yeah, Quant's included in that. If you want to go check out our, our recent Quant video uh, that we made, a big deep dive into it and why we have a lot of uh, uh, belief and power in it. Um, but really, it's been like the urging of other people for me to really look at it. And there's something to that. When so many people are pointing at something and saying, look at this. It's something to really pay attention to. Now, look, 
that's not for coin 942 on coin market cap because you can't tell the difference between bots and people you know making fake comments to try to drive sentiment up but when there's a lot of influencers uh you know when there is a lot of buzz when there's a lot of news coverage and a project's actually doing real things that look when you look back at my video i made a year and a half ago on quant there was a lot of evidence that there was a lot of real tangible good stuff coming out of quant but it really didn't have the buzz and the sentiment behind it when you have use case, utility, team that is building, combined with community, combined with positive sentiment, combined with with a narrative like the ISO 20022, I, I don't think you can really miss at this point. Johnny Crypto, I know you got a question because we talk about quant every day on this channel, but I want to remind our listeners there's 297 of you out there. Smash that like button on this Wednesday. Johnny Crypto, floor is yours. Give that like button a war elbow drop, guys. Uh, yeah, no, I think I, I'm kind of, you know, one of the things we talk about here, Ben, all the time on the show is a lot of folks ask us, hey, how do I get started? Where should I start in crypto? And, you know, obviously we're not financial advisors, not financial advice. But what we tell people all the time is start, look at the ISO 20,022 20, coins. It's a perfect place. You know, we don't know. None of us here know which horse is going to win the race, right? All we want to make sure is we've got several horses in the race. We look at the ones that have real world solve utility. Which are the ones we think make the best sense? Which ones are going to control, you know, be part of the future rails of the system that unfortunately is going to enslave us, right? So we can put ourselves in a position to create generational wealth. And that's what, and this is one of the reasons why I absolutely love quant. If you think of quant, to me, you know, quant, I think, is like like the way TCPIP was to the internet, right? You had the internet back in the 97s, and you had all these different systems going, and nobody, no, not, nobody, no computers could talk to each other. They all had different operating systems, different email systems. And TCPIP came along, and it was a standard that said, hey, we're all going to speak like this. We're all going to have this same common language. So now an iPhone can talk to an Android, and all different things can happen, right? To me, that's exactly what quant is trying to do here. For Web 3.0, for the cryptocurrency world, right? It's to be able to put this overledger above where all these chains can come together and work together and create that interoperability that we so desperately need. So for me, I think Quant... Now, there's comments that Chainlink could be there as well and a couple other ones, but I personally think Quant's going to be the winner there. Um, but when you think about these different ones that are out there, do you think Quant is going to be the, the forerunner or what's your thoughts there and, and for, in terms yeah. of the one that's going to be the interoperability leader? Well, I, I think when you look at Chainlink, it, it's hard to deny what Chainlink has done in, mm -hmm. in, in all the partnerships. When you look at their number of partnerships, it's much larger than any other project by a considerable amount. Like, it's yep. considerably more plugged in than everything else. So I, I think Chainlink is a winner. Um, but I think when you're looking at the ISO 20022 and specifically in the world of finance, right? Like, that's really what Quant is. I mean, it's it, their, their slogan is the future of finance. When you're looking at all the interconnected of finance, I, I think people really got to take a step back and they have to start looking at the direction of where everything is going, right? Polkadot. Polkadot wants to be interoperability with smart contract platforms, okay? You look at Chainlink. What do they want to be? They want to be the Oracle that connects off-chain to on-chain, right? When you look at Quant, this is the interoperable cog when it comes to finance. What bigger industry out there is than finance? You know, there, there isn't one you know if people really want to know um so i think quant has got look there we don't know the winners of the races you're right we don't know there's a lot of different races though right we don't know the winner of the top coin in the next bull market right we know in the last one 
it was Sheba. <laughs> like who, who would have ever terrible. guessed, you know, terrible. Right. Now all yeah. those people are hurting now. And the people that made the money were the earliest, earliest people in it. Like nobody could have possibly predicted that. Um, but you have to look at these different races. And when it comes to interoperability and finance, I think Quan is sitting in the best position because probably all of this ISO 20022 stuff is not going to use, uh, you know, something that's not, controllable in some regards and quant fits that description when you look at polka dot it's a lot more of a of a guessing game it's a lot more of a, a wild card guys the world of finance does not want wild cards right and so that's where you're seeing a lot of these coins come in um and you're seeing how they fit into the to the overall narrative of, of the future of finance i, I think it, you know in that regard like i said earlier I don't think you can miss with Quan. I think it's in the it's in the catbird seat when it comes to uh to to this part of the the crypto area. So Ben, we only got about nine minutes left. I do want to get a couple of your takes on individual projects, not from a price action sure. standpoint, but just from a development mm -hmm. standpoint. Matic is one that comes to mind, an Ethereum yeah. scaling solution. We've covered it continually on this channel. Why don't you fill our listeners in on why you're so bullish on Matic? Yeah, we love Polygon. Um, you know, we we do a lot of different things here uh, at Bitboy Crypto. We work on a ton of different, uh, you know. That we, we've got so much we're building here behind the scenes we can't wait to release and a lot of what we build on is polygon it's just by far the top performing the best I, I i think it's the winner when it comes to layer two i believe layer two protocols <clears throat> have a great chance to be one of the biggest niches in the next bull run as the ethereum merge comes to completion people understand that uh we're still going to need faster transactions i just talked about this show uh, on my show yesterday the idea of transactions is very misunderstood to people okay when you look at uh visa okay visa today it can uh it, i think it processes about 1800 transactions per second i just looked at this yesterday uh it does more transactions than anybody else in the world currently uh when it comes to to payments people have got to get out of their mind that transaction equals payment or, or that payments equal transaction. Yes. When you're using a blockchain, technically there is a small fee that serves as a payment, but the only reason people are using visa is to buy things right in the world of blockchain. Every action is a separate transaction. I think that's something that people have to really wrap their minds around. There's a reason why Ethereum wants to have a hundred thousand transactions per second. It's because every action, just imagine if you were like, let's say you wanted to go buy uh, one of these uh, nice BitBoy crypto lights, which we didn't make this. I went through a third party company in uh, in the UK to buy that a couple of years ago. When you go to the website, that's an action. When you click on the thing that you want to buy, that's an action. When you put in all the details of the customization, that's an action. In blockchain, all of those are transactions. It's not just the final process and the final purchase. So we're going to need things that are much higher than even 100,000 transactions per second. So uh, eventually for the entire world to be on Web3. And so when it comes to uh, Polygon, this is the big winner. Um, we, we're looking at Optimism. We're looking at Arbitrum. We look at Cartesi. That's a project we used to do a lot of work with. We really like. There are going to be some others that have an opportunity uh, to do well. But in our mind, you know, Polygon fits all the right boxes. And I think it's going to be the leader of that niche that's going to be a leading niche in the next bull market. Awesome. The next currency we have to address is VeChain. So many partnerships and developments. Yeah. I know that earlier this year, you actually, I think you dumped your VeChain mm -hmm. from your portfolio. I'm yeah. not sure, but 
What yeah, are some of your thoughts on VeChain and how do you feel about the continual development? They're being used in Latin America. They're being yeah. used by Walmart. Now they're being used in the cannabis industry in Canada. What sticks out to you, Ben? Yeah, I, I think that when it comes to um, uh, when it comes to VeChain, we did like we were just trying to whittle our portfolio down, and we tried to get it down to twenty coins because we tell everybody not to over diversify, and we were way over diversified. So what we want to do is just kind of like we had to make some hard decisions. We made a hard decision on Kadena, hard decision on Amp, which looks to be a good decision now because you know the SEC is saying maybe there's security. We made a hard decision on VeChain. Look, you you can't let I don't think you can, can let you can't let your philosophies rule your portfolio if something is not if something's an incredible 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 investment but maybe philosophically you disagree with some things around it then i don't know if necessarily you should make that call however when you're trying to whittle down and decide what you do and do not want um i think there are some philosophies that can be deciding factors if that makes sense and so when it comes to vchain Look, we, we're not a fan of the Chinese government. We're not a fan of the CCP. We're not a fan of, uh, you know, the the uh, the infiltration into markets uh, that China has done. We're not fans of the Bitcoin mining ban in China, which if people don't understand, that's not real. Oh. All, chi all, all China did was they said, hey, miners, what we would like for you to do is actually go to other countries and infiltrate their markets. And then we can smoke and mirrors say, oh, we don't have the highest hash rate here in China. When in reality, all they've done is move their influence and they know that. Um, so look, that's why ultimately the ties to China are the reasons why we dump the bag. We, we just think geopolitically, we're not a fan of China. We don't want that. However, I do think the price of E-Chain is going to go up. I do think it's a good investment. And I also can change my mind on that, similar to how I've decided we've changed our mind on XLM because Jed McCaleb is gone, is they've now created, I think they have an office now in Italy maybe, but VeChain is moving further around the world. Is they can kind of disseminate or uh, is they can kind of, uh, you know, untangle all of the Chinese ties to it. And it maybe, you know, it becomes more international uh, supply chain tracking, uh, you know, platform then i think at that point we can go back into it i'm not opposed to going back into vchain is i guess the best way for me to say that awesome and there's one last currency i know we're running out of time but my our listeners would love to hear you talk about hbar we always talk about it on our channel and it's one of the most bullish projects that we have maybe you can speak a little bit to that because we do every day yeah i think when it comes to hbar when you look another another project that's got incredible partnerships you look at the stuff that they've done with uh, google amazon cloud like uh, there's or there, there's so much with hbar to unpack and i can tell you i did recently uh run into somebody uh, right like i just run into people who work for crypto companies you know i was out on the street and this guy bumped into me it's like hey i work for hbar that's not actually how it happened but i did run into somebody who uh does work for hbar um, and we're actually, we have this person's contact info. We're going to be using this person to get a lot more information on what's going on kind of behind the scenes uh, with HBAR. But look, this person told me, they said, look, if you knew what is coming, if you knew what is coming, you wouldn't invest in anything else was basically the implication. Not those exact words. Um, don't want to misconstrue this person's message. But that was basically the idea. There's so much big stuff coming that even though this is a private conversation between you and I, I can't even tell you. That's how big it is. Person was like, I just got off the phone with a huge, you know, with with, with something absolutely massive they're doing. Um, and then, you know, two days later or, or three days later, they get listed on Coinbase. Maybe that was actually what the person was talking about. Um, but they do have a lot of big stuff coming. And when you look at smart contract platforms, the winners are becoming known. Your your Tezos's, your um uh your EOS's, 
your Trons. Trons make it a little bit of a comeback, but these are not the winners. You have some that fit in this category of we don't quite know yet. Cosmos, Elrond, like these are ones that have a great chance. But then you look at the things that, you know, HBAR, Algorand, uh, you know, Polkadot, what they're building, these are putting themselves in prime positions for this next bull run to be huge winners. I think that's a perfect place to end it, Ben. I want to say thank you for making time for us today. Absolutely. An amazing episode. And we would love to have you back if you would like to join us again. Sure. Johnny Crypto and Mario, I want to give you a chance to say bye to Ben. But we're going to close it out the same way we always do. Warriors, rise. Get your shit together, baby. Thank you for joining us today. Let's go. Thank you, Ben.